following message is from a guest speaker of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found at emmanuelcommunity.org. A couple of things that we talked about. You know, I love, I got a chance to listen to some of the different sermons that were preached in the last couple uh, weeks. I love what Abby Matthew was sharing uh, two weeks ago, and he talked about this whole idea of generosity. And he talked about how much do you give? And here's what he said. He says, rich generosity is the expression of a heart overflowing with joy that comes from the grace of God. Our whole life, we're steward of everything God has given us. It's an overflow of the grace that he gives us. Last week, Pastor Lester talked about this whole idea of grief. Even the deepest of griefs encountered from losing someone you love cannot stop the heart of God from ministering to you. In the darkest moment of my grief, and I love what he said about this, I saw a clear view of the cross. God says, I am with you. We don't always understand why he does what he does, but God promises that he, and says that he is with us. This morning today, we're going to look at a case study in the story of Elijah. The last time I was here, we talked about the beginning of Elijah in Elijah chapter 17, in 1 Kings 17. Today, we're going to look at a case study of an encounter that he has with this widow in Zarephath. If some of you guys remember what I talked about when I first got here in 1 Kings 17, Elijah appears out of nowhere. There's no mention of Elijah before 1 Kings 17, and he comes and shows up, and for the next three chapters, he makes such a powerful impact that he, we still talk to him about him to this day, that his impact affects not only the Old Testament, but the New Testament as well, too. Elijah, which simply means, my God is Jehovah, first comes on the scene and that we are told by the author that he is the Tishbe from Tishbit in Gilead. What does that literally mean? That he comes from a place that no one knew. This Tishbe from Tishbit, we don't know where he belongs to, but well, you know what? By the way, we know where Gilead is. So somewhere in Gilead, this guy, this place called Tishbe, that's where Elijah comes from. He's kind of rough around the edges. He comes from a rural part of the area. And he somehow gets a meeting with King Ahab of the northern kingdom. Post-Solomon, Israel has now been split between northern kingdom and southern kingdom. There are 19 kings during the reign of this northern kingdom. All of them are bad. King Ahab is the worst of all of the 19 kings. Queen Jezebel actually later on will become the worst of the worst. But King Ahab is the king and the kingdom is located, the capital city is located in Samaria. And so Elijah comes in and somehow this Tishbit from Tishbe in Gilead gets a meeting with the king in Samaria. And he says, neither dew nor rain except by my word. And he says to this, he says, my motivation is this. 
I do this because I represent the God before whom I stand. And that becomes the theme of Elijah for those three chapters, the God before whom I stand. And after he says that, he disappears and he's now ushered away to Cherith, where now he lives fed by ravens. He lives off the brook and he stays there. He lives there until the brook dries up. And then the word of the Lord came to him. And this is verse 8 where we begin. Then the word of the Lord came to him and says, Arise, go to Zarephath. Point number one is that no matter where you are, and ties back into what Pastor Lester was talking about, God sees you. The word of the Lord came to Elijah. The Lord sees you. No matter where you are in life, no matter what you're dealing with, no matter what you think you could hide, the Lord sees you. There's something comforting to know that the omniscient God, the omnipresent God, the all-knowing God, the all-powerful God sees us. Uh, I have a daughter. Her name is Kara. Kara's four years old. And when they're four years old, all of us have been to that point, or all of you will get to that point. You have to attend children's holiday programs. And this past year, I attended her at her Christian school. It was her Christmas program. And so Cara put on her red dress and everything like that. And she's sitting there on the front row. I got myself a seat in the back row of my wife. And you see a little Cara looking around. And then when she gets up there, it's her turn. She walks up to the stage. She's looking around. She's looking around. Why is that? She's trying to see where we are. And after she performs, she gets off. Program is over. And somehow or another, as we're walking up to her, she gets through all of the people. And I see this little girl pop up. And the first word she says to me is, did you see me? Did you see me? Did you see me? She wanted to know that I saw her. She wanted to know that we sat there and paid attention to her program. No matter where you are in life, God sees you. God noticed you. God's there with you. I love in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. When David, King David becomes king after all the things are happening, after everything's over with Saul and all that, he is finally king. And David says, is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And the servant says, there is still a son of Jonathan. His name is Mephibosheth, and he is crippled by his feet. The king sees him. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and James, or Peter and John. In verse 2, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid had daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask for alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter, and here's a powerful verse, directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. He sees him. He directs his gaze at him. 
he gives him dignity. We all know what that means, don't we? In a couple days, I'm headed to Midway Airport, and I'm on my way just in and out to Florida to meet with somebody and come right back. But I get up early in the morning, I get down, and I get off 55, and I'm off of Cicero Avenue. And what you always see people asking for money when you get off of Cicero Avenue, or when I go to Chinatown and get off at Cermak Avenue, there's a bunch of people who are asking for money. And all of us have been there, right? We put our heads down because we don't want to make eye contact. We hope if we don't make eye contact, we don't have to engage them. We won't feel bad that we will have to say no to them about giving them money. But when you look at that person, you give them dignity. You let them know, I notice you. Peter and John notices that person. God notices you. The word of the Lord came to Elijah because God notices Elijah. God sees Elijah. And that is an encouragement, but that is a warning as well, too. Because God sees you no matter what you're doing. God sees you no matter what you're thinking. God sees you when you think nobody's watching. God sees you in the privacy of your life, in all the hidden agendas and motives, it is both encouragement, but also a warning as well, too. And he says, arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Not only does he see us, he knows where we're going. He knows where you're going. I love the story in John, uh, Joshua chapter 3. It is the day right before. They've been in the desert for 40 days now, 40 days and 40 nights. And it is now finally time for them to pack up and cross the Jordan River. And here's what he says to them. It, Angel of the Lord, then Joshua rose early in the morning. And they set out for Shittim. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and he lodged there before they passed over. And he says to the people there, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried out by the Levitical priests, you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go. For you have not passed this way before. God knows where you're going. Just like Joshua directs the Ark of the Covenant to guide them because they don't know where they're going because they've never been there before. For Elijah, I want you to go to Zarephath. And that means wherever you're at, at Cherith, you're going to have to walk 100 miles to the birthplace of Queen Jezebel in Zarephath. So you want me to walk 100 miles? King Ahab is looking for me because I am holding this drought thing. I'm going 100 miles. I'm going to walk there to see Queen Jezebel, the birthplace of Queen Jezebel. Yes, I want you to do that. Because God knows where you're going. Because you've never been there before. 
You've never gone there before. But the problem sometimes is, and it's great, if God calls us to go somewhere where we want him to go. But what happens when he calls us to do and go somewhere where we don't want to go? Where we don't want to do what he's calling us to do? Where it's not the ideal situation? That actually happened in uh, Isaiah chapter 11. In Isaiah chapter 11, Isaiah hears his voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Isaiah says, Here am I. Send me. And the word of the Lord came and says, Go and say to the people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of his people dull and their heart ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then Isaiah said, how long, O Lord? How long do I have to do this? And the Lord says, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away. And the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tent remain in it, it will be burned again. Like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is fell, the holy seed is its stump. Isaiah is saying there, whom shall I send is what the Lord says. Isaiah says, send me. And the Lord says to Isaiah, I, I'm going to send you somewhere. I'm going to have you preach the word. And I'm going to have you share with the people. But you'll never see any results. You'll never make any progress. Yeah, I could do that. How long do you want me to do that for, Lord? Until everything is gone. Until only a tenth remain. That's what I want you to do. Sometimes the Lord sends us to places that we're not going to want to go. He asks us to do things that we're not going to want to do. And are you okay with it? There's a young girl who I meet with in uh, Jakarta, Indonesia, bright, bright, bright individual. And she loves the Lord. She graduated from Talbot and Biola and all that stuff. When I see her, she wants to start all these different businesses, wants to change the world, equip people, find jobs, and all of that stuff. And when I sat there with her last time, she says, Tommy, Tommy, I love the Lord. I just want to serve the Lord in everything that I do. But, she says to me, I don't like it when people say no to me. I don't like it when people says, I can't do something, and when God says no. There's a problem with it, isn't it? When you don't like it when people say no to you. Because a lot of times we have this expectation that this is what we want God to do. But in the midst of it sometimes, it may not go according to plan. What he wants you to do may not be what you want to do. And when the answer is no, 
are you okay with it? Here's the one thing I realize is sometimes we may believe something so strongly we confuse God's will with our will. And we sit there and say, yeah, that must be God's will. But it's really our will instead. Let me, let me give you an example, a funny story. There was this one girl in college who I loved. She was a couple years older than me. I, I was crazy about this girl. But she was a missionary over in Kazakhstan. And she lived in New Jersey. And I got a chance to see her all the time. And her goal was to be a missionary in Kazakhstan. And I still remember talking with her. She says, hey, look, um, I, I always wanted, I want to marry someone who has a heart for global missions. Do you have a heart for global missions? Oh, yeah, 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 I have a heart for global missions. Uh, do you see yourself going to Kazakhstan one day? Well, once I figure out where Kazakhstan is, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, the Lord's calling me into Kazakhstan. Uh, so you're telling me that you want to be a missionary in Kazakhstan. Of course, I think God's calling me to go to Kazakhstan. I have no idea where Kazakhstan was. But sometimes, a lot of times, we may want something so badly. We convince ourselves that our will is really God's will. God knows where we are. God sees us. God knows where you're going. Even though we may not like where he calls us to go, God knows where you're going. And thirdly, behold, I commanded there a widow there to feed you. Thirdly, God knows what you need. God knows what you need. He sees you. He knows where you're going, and he knows what you need. I love what Pastor Steve said, and in his sermon, as he finished up Job, and he says, we should not be shy about asking God the things that we need. God invites us to approach him with the confidence that a young child has when approaching their parents. God invites us to approach him with our prayers. God invites us to ask him. But what happens when what he provides as an answer to our prayer is not what we want? What happens when he answers our prayer in a different way that we never even expected? Are you okay with that? Are you good with that? Because sometimes we have expectations, don't we? We have expectations for our parents. We have expectations for our friends. We have clear expectations. But then at the same time, we have expectations of God. And when he doesn't answer the way he, we want him to, we become anger, become mad. Uh, a couple months ago, right after, Chris, uh, right after Thanksgiving, I had a dear, dear friend. Her name was Sharon. And Sharon's goal, she was a paralegal for about 26, 27 years. And she wanted to, grad, uh, she wanted to retire early right before she turned 50 years old. And that was her goal. She worked, and she was older, she was single, but she worked hard, and she was going to retire early. And she did it. 
And on the day of her retirement, she had a doctor's appointment to finish out because she wanted to get a checkup in order to make sure that everything was good because she wasn't going to have insurance anymore and it wasn't going to be as good. And on the day of her retirement, she was told she had lung cancer, stage four lung cancer. Pretty soon, that stage four lung cancer developed into brain cancer, and she didn't have long to live. Sharon was a friend who would ask all of us as friends, says, I, 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 she was single, older, and she wanted us to stay with her at nights. And we all knew as friends it was toward the end. And so we each took a night. And it was my night that one evening right after Thanksgiving. It was about 8 o'clock, and I just got home from Dallas just earlier that evening. And I did not want to spend the night at the hospital. And my wife says to me, you need to go because you don't know how long she has left. So I get there at 8.30, and she, was, she just stared out at the wall, and she was not doing well. And the doctor says to her, she's been like this all day. I think she's mentally gone. And so we get there, and I said, Sharon, Sharon, are you there? No response. Later on, she had an episode, and she couldn't breathe, but... But by 10 o'clock, she started breathing. She was snoring. And the doctor says, that's a great sign. She's sleeping. And I proceeded to sit down and talk with her and do my work and all of that stuff. And 10 o'clock goes, and I work until 12 o'clock. And at 12 o'clock, I'm about to go to bed. I'm just going to sit there in her room in the chair and just go to bed. And suddenly, I hear this beeping from this machine. And it starts beeping. What is that noise? And I see it's oxygen machine. It tells uh, how much oxygen is going through her body. It's at 99. And it's dropping. It starts dropping from 99 then to 89. Now I'm the only one in the room. From 89 to 79. Then 79 to 69. Suddenly everyone rushes into the room. And the nurse says to me, you need to call her family because she has 20 minutes to live. Sharon's greatest fear as an older single, she always told us as friends, is I do not want to die alone. The Lord gave me a great gift where I sat there with my dear friend Sharon as she passed and she wasn't alone. But the Sunday before we got a chance to talk, and I spent about two hours actually, I think it was right after I spoke here that I went to the, straight to the hospital and I spent two hours with her. And she was very bitter. She was very angry at God. And she told me, Tommy, all my life I've wanted to retire early. All my life I worked hard to retire early. That was my goal. But I tried also to be a good Christian. I tried to help support. I was involved in so many ministries. I was faithful to God. Why did God allow this to happen to me? On the day that I was going to retire, I'm told I have stage four lung cancer, and now I have brain cancer. I'm so angry at God. I'm so bitter at God. I don't know what he's doing. And the answer is we don't know. God knows what we need. 
but we don't always know why he provides us those things. Why he doesn't give us what we want. But he knows what we need. And it's at those times like this where you and I will need to sit there and come before our living God and say, Lord, I don't know. I don't understand. But I do trust that your word is truth. I do trust that what you're saying to me is biblical. Can I trust you, Lord? And can you give me strength to trust you? Are you okay if your prayers and what you desire and what you think you want or need is different than what God gives you? God sees you. God knows where you're going. And God knows what you need. But sometimes what we think we need and what he gives us is not what we want. And when, you're, when you encounter that, are you okay with that? As we go on, so Elijah rises from the city and goes to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her, bring me a little water in the vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and says, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she says, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a, a couple of sticks that I may go in and die, go in and prepare for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. So not only does the Lord see us, not only does the Lord know where we need to go, go to Zarephath. I need you to walk 100 miles to Zarephath. Got it. You're going to encounter a widow. I know what you need. You're going to encounter a widow. And she's going to provide you with what you want. Got it. But there's two things you're going to need to overcome. She encounters a widow at the city gate. And the widow literally says, I have nothing as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. Really, Lord? Seriously? You want me to travel a hundred miles to Zarephath, be exposed to danger, everyone's coming after me, and the person that you are giving me is a widow who says, your God, she's not even of the faith. Who, and she has a little flour and a little oil. Really? That's it? Yes, that's it. Along the way, you're going to have to overcome first impressions. You're going to have to overcome your idea of what is sufficient and overcome these first impressions. Elijah had to overcome first impressions when encountering this widow. You and I in the midst of following God, have to overcome first impressions. That the people that God provides, the situation that God provides in your life, and sometimes when you look upon that person, look upon that situation, are you serious, sir? Really? That's what you're providing? Yes. Yes. 
That's what I'm providing for you. I, I love, uh, if you guys have ever watched The Voice, right? Kelly Clarkson just finished her time as a judge over on The Voice. And Kelly Clarkson was doing an interview, and she says, I had a chance between appearing on The Voice as a judge or American Idol. And they said, why did you pick The Voice? Because she says, I wanted to listen to someone perform and not be able to see them. I don't want my impression of how they look to interfere my idea of what their talent is. That's a good thought. Because sometimes we look at a situation, we're sitting there, Lord, really? You're going to provide me that? You're going to have to overcome first impressions. And you know what you're also you're going to have to overcome? I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and die and prepare for myself, for me and my son. And Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you have said. But first, make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent. And the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. Second thing that you're going to have to overcome. You're going to have to overcome physical impossibilities. Not only are you going to have to overcome first impressions, you're going to have to overcome physical impossibilities. So you're going to take that flour and that oil and the water, and they'll never be spent. Yes. Really? Yes. The God we worship, the God we follow, works in mysterious ways. He may not answer our prayer the way we want. He may not give us everything that we pray for. But he does work in impossible ways. And we're going to have to overcome the impossibilities. What he did at the wedding of Cana in John chapter 2, what he did with David and Goliath, what he did with Moses and parting the Red Sea, what he did with Joshua and the Israelites at the wall of Jericho and parting the Red Sea, yes, what he did on the cross for you and I to save all of us as humanity from our sins, not by judgment, but by grace, yes. We're going to have to overcome impossibilities as we continue to follow the Lord. Because God is a God who overcomes impossibilities. Because God sees us. No matter where you are, it is both an encouragement but a warning. He sees us. God knows where we need to go. Go to Zarephath. Travel 100 miles. I want you in Zarephath. I'm going to provide you a widow because he knows what we need. But we're going to have to overcome first impressions. And we're going to have to overcome physical impossibilities to do what? And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do. Go and do. Go and do. Go and do and make a difference in your workplace. Go and do and be the best teacher you could possibly can 
and change the lives of every single student, whether it's first grade, second, fourth, whether it's special ed students, whatever it is, change the life and be the best teacher you could possibly be. Be the best mom and housewife you could possibly be. Care for your kids. If you have grandkids, care for your kids and go and do and be the best parent, be the best grandparent, be the best spouse you could possibly be. To die to yourself each and every single day. Be the best entrepreneur. If you have an idea of a burden that God has given to you and you think I can't do it because look at me. Go and do. Do not fear. Because I know where you're going. You're going to, I'm going to work through the impossibilities. Go and do. And make a difference for the kingdom in your work, in your home in your church, in your families. Do not fear. Go and do. Will it be easy? Probably not. Will it be smooth? Probably not. But go and do. Even if I don't get results, even if you don't get results, even if it doesn't go my way, yes, even if it doesn't go my way, even if it doesn't go according to plan, yes, even if it doesn't go according to your plan, because I see you. I know where you're going. I know what you need. But overcome first impressions and overcome physical impossibilities. Elijah the Tishbit from Tishbe in Gilead. I need you to go there, and I need you to do that. That's the challenge that he gives us. Let's pray. Mm-hmm.